Thanks, Georgie. Oh, Bible right way up would help. It's great to be here this morning with you. Hope you're well. And uh, even if you're struggling, can I just remind you, Romans 15, verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We serve the God of hope, and he wants to fill you this morning. Draw strength from God. Don't try and draw it from yourself. Dig deep into your into yourself, that just leads to, to pride. Whereas if you go to God, it leads to humility. Now, once I was 17 years old. I'm sure there's a, a song there. And I didn't always used to be this ugly, believe it or not. And uh, that's how I managed to get Anna. Well, no, I don't know how I managed to do that. But anyway, um, I was playing football. That's why the ball's here. And I, I got past a midfielder. And uh, was bearing down on the goal, and a group of girls on the side who were watching us at the time uh, started to cheer, go sigh, go sigh, go sigh. I knew I was born for this moment of amazingness. And uh, with one look, I glanced where the goal was and where the goalie was, and then I hit the ball with all my might to secure it firmly in the back of the net. And, the, and received the praise that, that I deserved. And the ball rocketed up and up and up. I completely missed the, the goal to the laughter of everyone at me. In a moment, I went from hero to zero. And I was truly humbled. Now, why am I telling you this story? Because of what was going on in my heart. That's what I want you to, to realize there. You see, last week, when Tom looked at the church in Corinth, he looked at the division that was happening there. And next week, Rob will pick up on that a little bit as, as well. But at the mention of the cross, Paul takes a little diversion to look at the wisdom and power of God found in the cross and how ultimately the problem to people receiving Jesus isn't one of wisdom and power. It's a heart issue. And actually, the division that was going on in the church, again, was because of a heart issue going on there. James 4, verse 6 says, God opposes, he actually opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble your hearts, my friends, and those of you watching before God. Because when your heart is right before God, then obedience to him naturally follows. Two quick points that I want to make to you this morning. Firstly, humbly trust God's wisdom. And secondly, grow in God's wisdom. So if you've got your Bible here this morning, can I encourage you to, to get it open, or if you've got it on your phone, to get it open. Actually, keep it open. It will appear on the screen behind me in a second. Uh, but uh, if you've got it, keep it open, because I'll keep referring back to the text this morning. It says this in verse 18 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through folly, through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, literally the flesh. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being, no flesh literally, might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We'll stop there for the time being. You need to understand that the Apostle Paul, along with the rest of the New Testament, divides the world into two camps. Not Jew and Gentile or Greek. Basically, when the Bible is saying Gentiles or Greeks, it means non-Jews. That's Old Testament. That's a division in the Old Covenant. Christ destroyed that wall of hostility, Ephesians 2 tells us, on the cross. Whilst Jesus does make it clear that salvation comes from the Jews in John 4, verse 22, he was referring to the fulfillment of God's purposes and promises found in himself. Jesus was and is the only way to salvation. The word of the cross, verse 18, or the Christ crucified, verse 23 and 22, that you'll see in here, is another way of referring to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What mankind could not do for God, God did through the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus was the only one to live a life fully pleasing God the Father. The rest of us have and do fail God regularly. We hurt 
each other, and we abuse his creation that he's put us in charge of. There is no hope, as that video wonderfully demonstrated, of us making ourselves right before God. And yet Christ came. He lived that perfect life, fully pleasing God the Father, and chose to be crucified on the cross so that all who come to him and put their faith in him can be forgiven of the things that we have done, said, and thought that is wrong, and we can receive Jesus' righteousness before God. Then as death could no longer hold Christ, and as his sacrifice was accepted on our behalf, God raised him from the dead on the third day as a sign to all of those who put their faith and their trust in him that you too will be raised to life eternal when Christ returns. Those who ignore Jesus will face God's wrath and perish. Those who accept Jesus and make him their Lord will be saved from the judgment that we all actually deserve before God. What people do with this simple message, which verse 18 calls the word of the cross, is now the dividing line in history. Everyone in the Bible stands in one of two camps, regardless of race, gender, social status, what you've done. Ultimately, none of those things matter. What matters before God is whether you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and received his forgiveness, won for you at the cross. That determines whether you're being saved by the power of God or perishing, verse 18. Whether you're a sheep going to receive eternal blessing or a goat going to receive eternal punishment, Matthew 25. It's a little bit like this. Sorry, kids, I didn't warn you. Do you, want to, do you want to come up and join the bus up here? Beth, you don't have to. It's all right. Oh, you want to? Okay. I have to pick on you because you have to be the same household, you see, so to be close to me. So uh, uh, there you go. So actually, someone said this can be the steering wheel. Look at that. That's a steering wheel. That's a, for another illustration later. But anyway, it's like we're born on the bus of humanity. And the bus of humanity, because of our sin, because of our ancestors' sin, is going to destruction. That is what we're born on. But Jesus came, and he lived that perfect life, and he offers a way out for people, out of the bus going to destruction. And if we follow him, then, and we surrender our lives to him, then we leave this bus and we join Christ. We become, the Bible calls it, you're in Christ Jesus. You become a Christian. So do you want to follow me, kids? You're, you're, you're following Jesus. And then you go where Jesus takes you. You have to go exactly where, where he does do what he, what he tells you to do. If I was feeling brave, I'd do a commander call. But all right. Anyway, well done, kids. Well done. Go, go under there. Fall under the, 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 uh, the chairs. But it could, uh, could end badly. That's what it's pictorially like when we put Jesus as our Lord. We start following him and we leave the bus going to destruction. Now, this message, the Apostle Paul is clear, is folly, is stupid to those who haven't made Jesus their Lord. It was back then 
and it is now to people. What, the death of some Jewish guy all those miles away, all those years ago, what's that got to do with me? How's that going to benefit my life in any way? There's nothing clever about that. There's no wise philosophy there to follow. The same resistance has come down through the ages. The message is foolish. It's just, it's just for the simple-minded. It's a crutch for the weak to, to help them through life. It's not academically rigorous enough for me. I'm, I'm more a scientist. These are all excuses that, that, that people make to, to the Jews. They were expecting the Christ to physically conquer the nations around them. So how could Jesus be God's anointed if he was defeated by the nations? Where's the power in that? In fact, surely he's under God's curse by the way he died. Gordon Fee, uh, who wrote this excellent commentary on uh, Corinthians, commenting on the Jewish expectation, says this. He says, Crucified Christ is a contradiction in terms of the same category as fried ice. Think about it. You can't fry ice, can you? It would, it would melt. And that was a, the same thing. Crucified Christ, how is that possible? All of these objections, all of these arguments against Jesus can easily be refuted. And they have been since the Apostle Paul's time. But listen carefully. Fundamentally, the problem is not one of wisdom and intelligence. It's not one of signs and evidence either. It's one's heart before God that stops somebody believing. You see, in human wisdom and in human power, Paul makes clear the world did not turn to God. In fact, it builds up walls to justify him not being there. Romans 1 makes clear that it's obvious that there is a God because of creation. It makes it obvious that he is there. So we, everyone is without excuse before a holy God. Therefore, it pleased God to offer a way of salvation that seems foolish, that seems weak to the world. Yes, there is a place for debating and showing that Christianity makes a lot of sense and there's tons of evidence, in fact, that actually back it up. But that doesn't lead to somebody putting their faith and trust in Jesus. Ultimately, the Bible is clear, it is a heart thing whether people accept him or not. Because as Anna's word said, and she didn't know I was going to say this. You have to come to God humbly like a child, recognizing that you cannot save yourself. Not arrogantly coming, boasting of your deeds. Oh, look what I've done. I'm great. Because even your great deeds count for nothing in the splendor of heaven. So remember this, my friends, when you're speaking to your friends, when you're speaking to your family and colleagues that don't know Jesus. Like the Apostle Paul, God hasn't called you or me to be a great debater or an intellectual genius. Hallelujah, because I'm not. Uh, he has called you simply 
to be a witness of what Jesus has done for you on the seemingly foolish message of the cross and what he is doing for you in your life now. That's why in verse 2 of chapter 2, the Apostle Paul uses the word testimony of God. Where do you give testimonials? In court, when you're a witness to something. Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Apostle John in Revelation 12, verse 11, writes this, Uh, They conquered the devil by the blood of the Lamb, that's the death of Jesus on the cross, and the word of their testimony. My friends, there is a time for debating things, but don't get distracted or put yourself down because you're just called to be a witness of Christ, what he has done for you on the cross and what he is doing in your life now. Like the Apostle Paul, you may be filled with much weakness, with much fear and trembling as you bring this message. But don't let that stop you doing it. Like Paul, the kingdom of God powerfully advanced through him as he did that. And if you speak out, God will move through you in power. You might say, well, yeah, but no, not not me. I'm I'm not wise enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm not a particularly powerful person. I'm not a special person. I'm not of noble birth, nor were the Corinthians. And even if you are, it counts for nothing before God. What matters is being in Jesus Christ. And if you're in Christ, you have all you need to be a witness for him. William Barclay, in his commentary on this book, says this, Christianity made people who were things, slaves and, you know, just objects really, back in the Roman world, into real men and women, more into sons and daughters of God. It gave self-respect to those who had no respect. It gave life eternal to those who had no life. It told them that even if they did not matter to others, They mattered intensely to God. It told people who were worthless in the eyes of the world that in the eyes of God, they were worth the death of his only son. Christianity was and still is the most uplifting message in the whole universe. Verse 30 in here, Paul redefines wisdom for us from something that was cerebral, something that was just purely academic, to something that was salvific, something that leads to salvation. The NIV actually makes it clear when it it adds in two words that aren't there in the Greek. It says, that is. It says, Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. True wisdom points people to Jesus, because he's the one that we truly need. It's not something that's academic or purely academic. You see, once you've humbled yourself and surrendered your life to Jesus, you become aware of all the wonderful truths that God has done for you, including 
the fact that it was his plan that you're in Christ Jesus in the first place. Verse 30 makes clear. He chose you. He called you. Verse 26 to 28 makes clear. Or as Jesus says in John 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Tom Wright, in his commentary on this, says, no Christian can boast of their status, of of the status he or she possesses, because from first to last, it is God's work and gift. God chose you. So we have nothing, as the passage says, to boast about before God. But like the Apostle Paul, we have lots to boast about in the Lord. Or to put it another way, you have lots to testify as to what Jesus has done for you. My friends, humbly trust God's word and simply share your testimony of what God has done for you through the seemingly foolish message of the cross, knowing that it is a heart issue that needs the power of God to change your friends. It's not an intellectual issue, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Finally, to grow in wisdom. It says this in verse 6 of chapter 2. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret, a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Now, what you need to understand is Paul is brilliantly building up here to rebuking the Corinthians who thought they were so wise and so godly and spiritual, but the division amongst them and the sins that they were still engaging in showed that they were just worldly. Babes, in fact, in the faith, soiling themselves with their own filth. 
I mean, you would struggle to listen to and trust a doctor if a doctor stood there telling you things and yet he had no problems and yet he just would happily wet himself in front of you and, you know, defecate himself. You'd think, yeah, I'm not going to listen to you, mate. What, what do you know? And uh, the same, that's the sort of picture that Paul is building up to. How can you claim to be wise and mature in Jesus? You may know some stuff, but you're not living like it. There's no point listening to you. The mature person in the faith grows in the knowledge of the things revealed to us by God. They're now revealed, as verse 10 makes clear, and they've been recorded for all time in God's Word, the Bible. They're, they're, they're no longer secret and hidden in that, in that respect, in the sense that they're not known anymore. They do remain hidden in the sense that if you don't have the Spirit of God, then you don't understand the things of God, as the passage makes clear. That's why you can get uh, people that are doctors in theology who don't actually believe in God because they've just studied it academically, but they've not actually understood the things of God. You need the Spirit for that. The Holy Spirit, who the moment you believe in Jesus, comes and lives inside of you. He begins to transform you and is himself a guarantee of your future inheritance in the age to come. Ephesians 1 makes clear. The Holy Spirit helps you to begin to understand the things of God. He gives you, it says here, the mind of Christ. As he is one with God the Father and Christ the Son, he helps you understand the things of God. Not in a sort of instant download like the, the Matrix, for those of you who have seen that film. You know, help me to fly a helicopter. Oh, I can fly a helicopter now. It's not like, oh God, help me understand the Trinity. Oh, I understand the Trinity. It's not, it's not like that. It's Romans 12 verse 2 says, Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern the will of God. You renew your mind... By taking sinful thoughts, sinful thoughts captive and dealing with them and spending time in God's word, thinking about it, meditating on it, processing it and applying it to your life. The sign of maturity in Christ is the outworking of a renewed mind. It's obedience to God. It's a changed lifestyle. Jesus said... If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. The Spirit of God who searches even the depths of God, verse 10 makes clear, knows the depths of your heart. And he gives you the ability to understand the things of God, to have the mind of Christ. And we as Christians are called to grow in understanding the things of God, to grow in our spiritual knowledge by spending time in his word and to grow in the spiritual gifts that he has freely given us. So, my friends, eagerly seek to grow in the wisdom of God through your own reading, through being part of a discipleship group or a life group, through listening to good preaching. But make sure... That what you receive from God, you allow to flow out of you in the form of a changed life for Jesus. Otherwise, 
you will just remain infants in the faith, immature in Christ, sitting in your own filth of the sin, just like the Corinthians. Graphic picture there, but that's, that's the image that Paul is beginning to paint. So in conclusion, God's foolishness displayed in the cross of Christ is wiser than human wisdom. So humbly trust God's wisdom for your life rather than seeking your own. Seek to grow in the wisdom, in God's wisdom through living for Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. I invite the band back up to while I'm praying. If you're here today or if you're watching online and you don't know Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to him or you have and you know you've walked away from that and you want to recommit your life to him or you want to commit your life to him, you want to get off the bus going to destruction and get on the bus that follows Jesus, that leads to glory. And just pray this in your heart along with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me enough to send your son to die on the cross for me. Please forgive me of all that I have done that offends you. And through the power of your spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Help me live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that, please, if you're here, come and uh, grab me. Uh, afterwards, I'd love to speak to you. If you're watching online, then contact the church office. We'd love to uh, keep in touch with you and, uh, and, and help you in your first few steps uh, as you walk, start walking and living for Jesus. For the rest of us, I'm just going to pray for the rest of us now as well, that we would know more of God in us and that we would grow in wisdom, not just up here, but in a changed life. Lord Jesus, thank you that you do have the best for us. Thank you that your ways are higher than our ways. Thank you that your ways are so much better, Lord God. And uh, while sometimes they, they, they may seem strange to us, Lord God, thank you that you know the best for us. And Lord, we trust you. Lord, I pray for your people that you would help us to just know you with us. You would help us to follow you, help us to keep in step with where the Holy Spirit is leading us. Lord God, you would help us to grow in you, Lord God, not just in knowledge, but in dealing with that sin that so easily entangles our life, so easily encroaches on our thoughts, Lord God. Help us, Lord. Thank you that you've given us the power to deal with it, Lord God. And I pray you would help us to, uh, be, to break free from sin, Lord God, as we trust you. I even just feel there's some people here that there's a repeated sin that you struggle with, and God is just going to give you the power to break free from that, even now. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Lord, we need you. We recognize our complete dependence on you. So fill us afresh, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.